I think when you're an athlete, you have a wonderful opportunity organically to learn about leadership, team play, setting goals, taking risks, learning that a defeat is just really learning um, a, a lesson and that it, it's a setback so you can recover. Hello everyone, welcome to IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, president of IWF Michigan and your host. The IWF is a global network of more than 7,000 highly accomplished women leaders from 33 nations. They are policymakers, executives, pioneers, and instigators of change united to advance women's leadership. And each month in the studio, we'll be talking with one of these trailblazing leaders as they share stories of lessons learned and insights gained from their journeys. So let's talk about life in leadership. And our featured IWF member today is Donna DeVerona, named by Sports Illustrated as one of the 100 greatest female athletes of the 20th century and co-founder with Billie Jean King of the Women's Sports Foundation. Welcome, Donna. Well, thank you very much, Anne. It's a pleasure to be on the air with you. Well, you know, there is so much that we're going to talk about, uh, not only about your athletic career, but your long career of helping to advance opportunities for women, particularly in sports and leadership. But first, I want to refresh people's memories a little bit because uh, you and I are contemporaries, and I remember very well the 13-year-old Donna De Verona, who made the U.S. Olympic swimming, swimming team, uh, and then four years later, when uh, you made the team again and won two gold medals on your way to a career total of, I believe it was 18 world best times and world records. Is that right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and we could go on and on, but I do want to mention uh, Donna was inducted into our International Women's Hall of Fame as well as the International Swimming Hall of Fame. And then at 17, she became the youngest uh, and one of the very first uh, women sportscasters when she started working for ABC's Wide World of Sports. You know, I'm exhausted just thinking about all this. <laughs> Well, it's been a long life so far. <laughs> yeah, and lots still to do. But, um, you know, let's start with a little bit about you, Donna, because you were a world-class athlete long before Title IX began opening sports opportunities for girls. So how did you get involved so young in um, world-class competitive swimming? Well, I think, you know, you have role models, and my father was an All-American football player and rower at Cal Berkeley, He's the only ever uh, student to be on a championship crew in a championship Rose Bowl in the same year. Wow. Uh, and he went on. He would have gone to the 1940 Olympics, but, of course, a war intervened. Uh, if anybody read Boys in the Boat, he was a freshman when uh, Washington oh. beat Cal to go to the 36 Olympics. But then four years later, Cal was on top. Uh, so, you know, there it was 24 years later, and I'm living out his dream in Tokyo, where the games were supposed to be in 1940. Wow. Uh -huh. uh, so that helped. And then I had an older brother I used to follow everywhere. Mm -hmm. I, liked the, I liked the games boys played rather than the, the dolls girls played with. Mm -hmm. And so, and I was very close to him. Um, 
but in those days, you know, my big love was really I wanted to play baseball. But, you know, when they started Little League, they organized little girls right out of the game. So oh, yeah. I wound up picking up bats in the d- and sitting in the dugout, uh, spending my money on uh, allowance money on bubble gum so I could bribe my way into the dugout. <laughs> and I fell in love with sports. And fortunately, mm-hmm. I love the water as well. Mm-hmm. And, and what about your mom? You mentioned your dad, obviously very important, and that older brother. Um, where was your mom in all this? Well, my mom, my mom's moms are so important. Mom was, she helped create the balance. You know, we're talking about balance in life right now. Mm-hmm. We are leading into our roundtable with women athletes, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, you know, she got up in the morning and 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 you know would scramble eggs and put them in a ther- thermos bottle. So when I was through at workout after I got up at five thirty in the morning, I had some breakfast. Um, you know, she was very calm and very supportive. She wasn't an athlete, mm-hmm. uh, but she, you know, she was of that generation where women didn't get the opportunities we had, and they, yep. she wanted all of us to be able to realize our dreams. Mm-hmm. Well, from the perspective of where you are now today, looking back on all these um, experiences you've had, what benefits beyond? celebrity and your sports casting career, would you say that sports involvement uh, gave you from a very young age? Well, I must say I'm thrilled to be on the Leadership Foundation board. Um, mm-hmm. Of the IWF. Mm-hmm. Of the IWF. Um, because I think when you're an athlete, you have a wonderful opportunity organically to learn about leadership, team play, setting goals, taking risks. Learning that a defeat is just really learning um, a, a lesson and that it, it's a setback so you can re- recover. I think those things are – it's hard to learn those things unless you're maybe a performer or an athlete uh, so organically. And to look at uh, your rival as someone that makes you better. <laughs> um, so often women have rivals and mm-hmm. – they don't look at it that way. But, you know, my biggest rival, Sharon Finneran, uh, when she was inducted into the Hall of Fame uh, in swimming, asked me to induct her. I said, why do you want me there? Because I won the gold medal. She said, because, Donna, we made each other better. Wow. We're, we've been friends for life, but we did make each other better. And, you know, you really are in life competing against yourself. You know, you may look at someone as a role model, but and you have to... I think you understand that quicker, maybe, if you have the sport experience. So I'm thrilled that the IWF has uh, championed women athletes through its leadership program. We're going to talk about that. We are. We are definitely going to talk about that. But before we go beyond your experiences, um, Cher, you've had incredible success, but you also had to have um, obstacles and very tough times, too. Share something about that and maybe advice for others in terms of, because you certainly were a trailblazer and very, very young. Well, I think um, what sports gave me was the resilience to stay in the broadcasting world. Mm. Uh, You know, I started my first assignment. I had a work permit. I was 17, and I covered swimming live, sitting next to Jim McKay. (laughs) But, you know, people look at it like it was it was one step after another, but it took me from the age of 17 to 35 to finally get uh, a sustainable career in broadcasting. And I took a lot of jobs in between. Mm-hmm. I, I think you find that women uh, have to, 
and especially young people now because of the changing world we're in, but women especially have to juggle and, you know, bounce around. And I found that my, my advancement came often when I left the, left the broadcasting and went to work, I went to work in the U.S. Senate on something I was passionate about. And so then when I came back to the world of sport, uh, I even had more credibility. I worked in the Senate on Title IX and the Amateur Sports Act to restructure our Olympic Committee, which we're trying to do again. Uh, uh-huh. And Title IX, of course, was part of the Civil Rights Restoration Act um, yep. that uh, opened the door for uh, women to get into uh, graduate school and instead of quotas in law and business and medicine, and opened the door in Title IX, opened the door for women athletes for the first time in 1972. But Mm -hmm. that kind of experience, bringing it back to broadcasting and sports, was really beneficial. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people see a celebrity and they think everything's easy. Yeah, and, you know, you have to make it look easy because if you look desperate, (laughs) <laughs> it's hard to negotiate from a desperate point of view. <laughs> right, right. But but it's it's step every step of the way. Yep. So ta- let's was. talk about the International Women's Forum. How did you get involved? Uh, again, through a sports connection. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, I had gone to Ernst & Young, who uh, that was sponsoring. Um, they were an official supplier of the Rio Olympics, and. They wanted to create a program that mirrored their winning women program, and you know they, the company helps women scale up their businesses uh, through that program, and they wanted something that matched it. So I said, well, I've always had this dream of helping w- elite women athletes make that transition, scale up from sport into the next arena. And uh, curiously enough, you know, the universe kind of. Uh, worked out that um, I met Dee Dee Corradini, who was, you know, mm. um, so important to the International Women's Forum, and she right. loved sports. She had helped bring the Olympics to Salt Lake, and as a lawyer, had um, negotiated with the International Olympic Committee to get women ski jumping in the Olympics. I remember, and she that's said, right. Yeah, we were. I was with Beth Brook, who was a big executive at EY, in, Do, in Doha for a conference, and Didi was there. And she said, well, why don't we partner with the International Women's Forum? You can mentor, but we can bring you the mentors. And the other added um, uh, valuable asset of the IWF was something that I've always wished for, was that these women would meet incredible women outside of the arena of sport. And these women um, that come from IWF mentor our mentees. And the added bonus is that our mm-hmm. graduates get to go to the big conference where they're gonna, <laughs> they hear the best speakers in the world, and they mingle with women they've never met before. Because women athletes so often are in a silo between the men's sports world and women doing everything else. So um, we're in our fourth year. Uh-huh. We just picked our fourth class. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm about ready to go to Portland, weather <laughs> permitting, for a Nike roundtable. Nike's going to host our athletes because they have a leadership program as well, which gives us an extra. Um, uh, a benefit of working with our athletes um, early on in the program in another environment. So it's exciting. Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that because that um, Nike roundtable is really one of the pieces of the experience that these world-class athletes athletes have through the um, WABIN. Is that correct? Yes, the Women Athletes Business Network. And it's, it's really... Uh, uh, Stephanie O'Keefe uh, w- of the International Women's Forum Leadership 
uh, foundation who had been nurturing Nike saying, you know, we'd love to have them on board. And so this will be the first time this class will be able to experience the Nike campus. I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't, no. <laughs> wow. We're talking about Nike while we're at it. That Serena Williams ad that was Wasn't his debut. Oh, Wow. Incredible! It's everything every female athlete feels all you know, feels all in one commercial. <laughs> it was awesome, and was. you know about that. I know that um, Stephanie O'Keefe, the CEO of the IWF, she told me that I know you're going to be interviewed um, during that Nike roundtable, and I believe it's by Dee Dee Corradini's daughter, Andrea yes. Corradini. Yes, and that'll be wonderful because Andrea was. Um, instrumental in this relationship as well so from from uh, mother to daughter we sure miss Dee Dee Corradini I know when we picked our first class we didn't know she had cancer Mm -hmm. she was on the phone with me for hours to Mm -hmm. make sure that our first class you know was picked well and of course she wanted to be part of it because she was so instrumental in the in the partnership yeah, she was uh, absolutely incredible, and um, for maybe our newer members of IWF, um, she was one of our fantastic presidents. That's yeah. Right. So um, let's d- talk a little bit more about Wabin, though, in terms of um, what is this missing link that it is offering to the world-class athletes? Because people who um, have never been a world-class athlete may think that, uh, you know, once you have that kind of celebrity or accomplishment, that the rest is pretty easy. You know what we found out from the 94 athletes from 24 countries and a variety of sports? In fact, we've had 52 Olympians and Paralympians across 36 sports uh, participate so far in our program. Um, what you find is, uh, like any, uh, like an actor or, or a musician, you're so involved as an athlete in your, your life, just setting goals every day and living in that bubble mm-hmm. that what we've found is when they retire or when they're ready to retire you, know, you go from one day of your life knowing exactly how your life's going to go to all of a sudden you're it's like you're leaving a whole you leave a whole way of life from one day to the next when you retire and oftentimes these athletes don't even realize the attributes they b- bring to the table that they're mm-hmm. team players. In fact, sometimes they go to an HR, or, you know, trying to get hired, and the, the question will be, uh, what's your work experience? And they'll say, well, I haven't been working. I've been training. <laughs> Instead of saying, I've been working since I've been 10. <laughs> I've been right. I've morning at 530. I have been, you know, I right. have been putting goals out there with no guarantee. It, they're, all, they're entrepreneurs as well. Um, mm-hmm. I've trusted in myself. I've taken the responsibility. So we find that, and then um, they need a li- they need help and trust in being vulnerable to the fact they have to start over. You know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they right. if they want to get into a new profession, maybe they're going to have to carry coffee. Maybe <laughs> even if they are a celebrity, they're going to have to learn from mm-hmm. the bottom up. Mm-hmm. And but being in a, in a community of athletes uh, in this group, they look at each other and say, oh, you have the same feelings I do. Oh, yeah. I'm not embarrassed to say I'm afraid or, you know, what's the next step or I need advice. And so uh, sometimes this journey is accelerated because they have this opportunity to learn from 
their their mentees. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been fantastic for me to um, meet some of these athletes at the global conferences because they go to our global conferences. And um, I met, you'll have to tell me her name, but she's um, a world, she's one of the top rock climbers in the world. Yes. And, uh, you know, it was like, wow. And I, I, I met her, and we talked a little bit, and I have a nephew who's a rock climber, and he just went crazy when I, he heard that I met her. That's the caliber of the women that we're talking about. But it I'm is. interested in, um, you know, there are three very distinct generations of high-achieving women in the workplace today, and um, these athletes now are primarily millennials isn't that right? And I'm interested in your perspective on, do you see anything different in terms of this next generation of um, athletes who are transitioning now into leadership, maybe from your generation, my generation? Well, I, you know what I see? You know, I see that they're more willing to help each other out and network. Hmm. You know, I think in our generation, uh, we were the ones that said you got to have women. So many corporations brought in one woman, right? Yep. And if another woman came in, you you'd look around and say, "My job's over." Yep. She was competition. Yeah, I, we were we were we were conditioned that you know, I I still brought other women in at ABC, and I was very much about networking. But I think you know when you're conditioned that that's what's going to happen because the powers to be choose that direction, it's hard to trust. I, I just found with these women that the first three classes, they all form a network. They're all communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. They're all helping each other. And maybe it's because they, I had the opportunity in a safe environment to do it, mm-hmm. but I see that happening. And I think, you know, the world is uh, changing so quickly. I think they realize that they have to be nimble. You know, mm-hmm. we, we kind of, you know, I went into ABC thinking I might be there all my life. I mean, I did have to struggle. It took me a long time. Mm-hmm. But the people I worked with from the age of 17 on were there when I left at 50. Right. Jim McKay. <laughs> they were yeah. still there. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not the way the world works anymore. And, no. and let's talk about sports broadcasting, because you uh, were one of the very, very first women uh, ever to crack that at the national level. I mean, I spent five years as a sports broadcaster uh, in the late mm-hmm. 70s and early 80s and know how tough it was. Um, give us a little sense of how it was back then. But then also I'm interested in your perspective on how far maybe we've come, because it's still a pretty tough field for women. I think it's still tough. I think we're way behind news, mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, we we have our sideline reporters, but mm-hmm. we're not the executive producers. We're yep. not the directors. Yep. Um, the rare person makes it through uh, with unusual circumstances, and you see that reflected in all the organizations. Um, you, you saw how, you know, the U.S. Olympic Committee's gotten in trouble because it became a boys club protecting each other mm-hmm. and at, at the peril of all our young gymnasts that, that uh, were, you know, you know, came yeah. in contact with Nasser. But it wasn't just gymnastics. It's gone back to swimming and all these other things. So we're in, we're in the process of trying to clean that up. And I must say that Beth Brook from EY is now on the board of the U.S. Olympic Committee. Oh, okay. And she comes, she was one of the, she was the first of her college to be on a Title IX scholarship. She loved the program, the EY program, So, uh, and she will be at the Nike Roundtable. So I think we have someone coming from a very um, layered 
background who's going to benefit us at the USOC. But, you know, getting back, you know, it was very difficult. What I did was whenever I worked with Jim McKay or Keith Jackson or uh, Kurt Gowdy, I I really became someone who would do all the research, give away all my information. And I used to joke and say when Keith Jackson, you know, smoked a cigarette and he inhaled, I had seven seconds to make my point. (laughs) (laughs) Because, because, you know, they were in charge. And and I knew that I had to, you know, just give a thousand percent. Um, I, it was a struggle. It really was. And at some point I used to put my name on every assignment so I'd try to make them feel guilty so they'd give me one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it That's was very, your advice. And then every time you were on the air, it was like, you know, you had to hit the home run because yeah. you might not be on the air for another three to six months. Yeah. Yeah. So I also got, I also invested in myself. I traveled all around the world on my own money um, to know what was going on internationally. And then I was one of the first, well, I was the only woman in management and on air at ABC Sports, which is unusual because they had to get consent from the board to let me play both. Wow. But because it was sports, there was more flexibility. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I came back to ABC and represented the network on setting up negotiations for rights fees with the Olympic Committee. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. So I had to learn every aspect of the business to to really survive. Mm-hmm. But it, the amazing thing also is that you have consistently continued to give, and a, a great example of that is you, uh, along with Billie Jean King, starting the Women's Sports Foundation. What prompted you to do that way back then? Well, way back then, before I met Billie Jean, um, I was, along with Susie Chaffee, the skier, was traveling around the world talking to International Olympic Committee members saying there should be athletes' voice on the International Olympic Committee. There should be more events. There should be a woman on the International Olympic Committee. There wasn't. Wow. So when Billie Jean beat Bobby Riggs, I said to Susie, mm-hmm. i got to meet this woman. She's <laughs> you didn't know her yet, life. right? Yeah. Yeah, and I did. And I said, we got to start a foundation. Well, you know, she had the money. She was given a check for charity, and she and I kept hounding her and Larry because at the time everybody wanted a piece of Billie Jean. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted her to do this and sure. that. You know, she started the magazine and everything else. And so finally they used that check to use the money to set up the foundation. And uh, so she's, you know, legally the founder, but I would like to say that we all helped found it with her. And I became, they didn't know what to do. So mm-hmm. they said, what, what's a foundation do? And I'd worked with Eunice Shriver in the Special Olympics, oh, okay. one of my biggest mentors. And I said, these are the things we should do. We should have a day in Washington. We should have an 800 toll-free number. We should have a yearly event in D.C. Mm-hmm. We should have a Hall of Fame. And <laughs> I was president for um I think you were the 70s. first president, weren't you? First and chairman. And mm-hmm. we started all our programs, you know, our scholarship, travel and training, all those things. And then what was fun is, you know, I had to talk somebody else into being president. Cause they didn't, <laughs> what, what is president didn't want to let do? you go. <laughs> no. And I had Eve Auchincloss, who was wonderful. It was, you know, she, we, we all worked for nothing. We all donated our time. And we went from a little organization with our first dinner at the plaza where we were afraid we wouldn't be able to pill pay the bill if we didn't fill the room to now <laughs> and, and now the Waldorf and right. now and then and the best part is we have rotating leadership now every two years we have a new um uh, you know up-and-coming athlete or, or elite athlete um take the reins and and serve as president so they learn leadership skills that way well let's talk uh 
back to the International Women's Forum in terms of all the things that you're involved in, and there's so many organizations for women today. Um, what is it about the IWF that still makes it special to you and worth the significant time that you invest in it? For me, it's such a thrill and a privilege to basically be out of the male-dominated sports world uh, <laughs> and to re- you know, meet these women from yeah. all over the world. It's very much like you know, the Olympic movement because it's global. Mm-hmm. It matches our program because our athletes are global. Uh, it's something I've always wanted to do was you know, intersect with uh, women leaders around the world. And I'm learning a lot. You know, it's a whole new thing- experience for me. Really, you, you never stop learning, of course, but for example... Well, for example, you know, you're, you're sitting in a room with women that have run uh, companies. You're, you're talking right. about global po- politics. You're meeting An- Anuka from the U.N., and, and she has a vision for uh, women of the U.N. Uh, and because you're networking, you can pick up the phone and say, listen, I have this athlete somewhere. Maybe they're not in our program, but do you have somebody in your local chapter that can mentor them? Uh, we found women, uh, and of course the chapters are only as strong as their leadership, but for instance, when we had our big uh, conference in, in Melbourne, mm-hmm. immediately the chapter decided to bring the athletes into the chapter. <laughs> and and yeah. so during that conference, the athletes they had, they had a roundtable organized for them because this isn't, you know, this is wonderful. If, if every, every chapter could have a, a relationship with women athletes, it would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. And we had uh, the likes of Ellen Sirleaf Johnson, you know, the first president, yes. uh, African, uh, president of an African nation. Yeah, it's, right. uh, and that's what's unique about it, I think, is that it exposes you to women you'd never have a chance to meet otherwise. Well, Gloria Alred, I mean, right. you know, at, at this time in, in history, right. unbelievable to speaker her and speak. so passionate. It was, and I, you know, meeting her one-on-one was um, wonderful, yep. inspirational. Well, we could go on and on, and um, thank you very much. It's really been a thrill for me to get to know you through the IWF, Donna, and that, as we said, you know, that's one of the benefits uh, of this, uh, of network, to expose you to women leaders from all over the world we just wouldn't meet otherwise, and and I know you agree with that. So. Well, do you have, would you leave us maybe with a favorite quote or something that has inspired you um, through your career and maybe continues to inspire you? It is very simple, but, you know, you can only try your hardest and never give up. Be kind, be hum- have humanity, and, and um, network with people that uh, are inspiring. Well, thank you very much, Donna De Verona. You know, I was 13 when you were 13. I was 16 when you were winning those gold medals, and you inspired me then, and you continue to inspire me now. Well, thank you for the time. All right. And thanks for listening, everyone, to this inaugural episode of IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, president of IWF Michigan and your host, And we hope you'll join us again as we talk about life in leadership.